All right, so thank you all for coming. We're going to talk about uh, Krishna. We're going to talk about the perfection of yoga. So, how many of you are uh, first-timers, first time here? Okay. Let's start off then, but I'll kind of recap a little bit about what we talked about last time. Um, first of all, the conceptions of God. Okay? There's a lot of argument about who is God. Sometimes I can prove that my God is the right God because my army is bigger than yours. You see? Or I have more money. My nation is wealthier, therefore I have a bigger army. So I can prove to you that my God is the right God. So, there's only one God. We have different perceptions of God. So, some of the perceptions are that God is just uh, energy. Have you heard that one? You know, he's just energy. Um, in Sanskrit, that word is uh, Brahma Jyoti, the, Brahma, the Supreme Brahman, you see. Uh, the Brahma Jyoti is, is recognized by bright light, beautiful, bright, peaceful light, you see. And in this uh, type of liberation, being liberated into the impersonal Brahman, the Brahma Jyoti, uh, you have no form. God has no form. You have no personality. He has no personality. It's just all energy. You see? Then there's the, the opposite of that is that God has form and personality. So there's an argument between the two sides. However, if we use our, our mind uh, to think, if we use logic, if we step out of, well, I'm crusading for a particular cause, if we're just looking for the truth, you see, I don't want to spin it this way, I don't want to spin it that way. I just want to know what's true. We can analyze, okay? Let's start with um, the Supreme Godhead. Everybody believes in the Supreme Godhead. Everybody here anyway, I'm sure. We have different conceptions, all right? So, this Supreme Godhead is supreme, therefore unlimited, right? That we can put no limitations on the Supreme Godhead. None whatsoever. The Supreme Godhead is unlimited, therefore it, that means the Supreme Godhead has everything. You see? We can't put any limitations on God whatsoever. Right? Regardless of what your perception is, God is all-powerful. So if we cannot deny anything of God, if he has everything, then he has to have a form. He has to have a personality. He has to have a personality to think. He's got to have a sense of humor too. You see? Some of the things he's done in this material world are just right, downright funny. You see? So, to design this material world in such a way is proof that he has personality. First of all, logic tells us God is not lacking anything. So he has personality and he has form. At the same time, he is that unmanifest. You see? Now some people say, oh, he's either one or the other. No. He's God. He has a quality called a chitya beta beta tattva, meaning simultaneously one and different. He can be this and that at the same time, and everything in the middle. No limitations. No limitations. 
God is unlimited. God has unlimited expansions. He has unlimited names. Let's see. This name, Krishna, uh, is a very potent name because he finds it very flattering when you call him Krishna. Krishna means the all-attractive, most beautiful one. It's, a, it's a, a name that you call God in love, you see. It's just like uh, some people have argued with me back in the 70s, especially people would argue with me that, oh, well, Krishna's not God's name. I say, well, what's God's name? God! They say, oh, really? Is that the only name he has? Yes. I say, well, what are the people in, you know, in France, they call him Dios. What is it in Espanol? Dios. Huh? Dios. What do you, people who speak Spanish wrong? And the English speakers are right? Huh? In Germany, he's called Gott. You see? So, you can see how these things have no meaning. And they say, some people say, well, but I don't know, okay, he has those different names, but Krishna's not his name. They don't know. Krishna is a way of saying, oh, most beautiful one. In a loving way. It's a way of saying I love you by telling you how beautiful and how attractive you are. You see, it's a, when we speak to God and call him Krishna, his reaction is, you really think so? You know? So, and another thing we can look, uh, we can analyze is, for instance, if I met uh, the President of the United States, I would say, you know, namaste, Mr. President. I'd call him Mr. President. I don't know him that well. But his wife's not going to call him Mr. President. Michelle's going to call him honey. Or something like that. You see what I mean? Because she's more intimately connected, she's going to call him by either, maybe in public, she'll call him Barack. And when they're alone, she may call him darling. You see? So this process of yoga is actually meant, the perfection of yoga is meant to bring us into a loving, uh, intimate relationship with the supreme personality of Godhead. You see? The personality of Godhead, the person, which is, he's a person, but he's a supreme person. We're persons, but we're not supreme. But that supreme person is that from which everything emanates, including the Brahma Jyoti. You see, it's just like there's light in this room, and you can see the lights coming from these bulbs. You see? So the Brahma Jyoti is a bright light, but there's a source of that light. The light and the source are one and the same, but still there is a source from where it emanates, and that source is Krishna, you see. Now, uh, oftentimes I talk with people and I can tell from the way they react. They're not ready to get really up close and personal, warm and, what to speak of warm and fuzzy, with God, you know? Because you start to feel a little uncomfortable. If you give him personality, that means that personality, now he's thinking, which means he can have desires, which means he might want me to do something. And, oh, God forbid, he might want me to do something I don't want to do. 
So I'd rather go back to the bright light, you know. I go back to the impersonal concept of God, then it can't ask me to do anything. You see? As a matter of fact, it doesn't have any desires. And if it isn't dictating uh, my life, then I can kind of write it as I go. And so many, it's very common in the modern age we see people who say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Have you ever heard that? You know, what does that mean? I'm healthy, but I'm, I'm not well fed. <laughs> you know, I stay out in the sun, but I'm not tan. How, how can you be? How is that? What they're actually saying is, I don't believe, I don't buy into any of these religions that are out there. They're telling me, you got to do this. This guy over here tells me that if I don't do what God says, he's going to burn me in hell for eternity. And this guy over here is talking about a God that, uh, you know, he'll turn me into a pillar of salt. You know, from what we've heard in the Christian world, in the Western world, uh, this God doesn't sound like a really nice guy. You know, I can't blame anybody for wanting to keep him at arm's length. You know, God forbid you should whiz him off. No telling what the consequences would be if you made him angry. Why would we not want to run from a personality that's jealous, supremely jealous, gets really angry, burns people for eternity, you see? I'd rather have the light, you see? I want to go merge into that cool light that's not going to ask me to do it, you see? So the only reason that we don't want God to ask us to do anything is because it might be something we don't want to do. And the only reason that that matters is that we don't have any love for him. You see? He's a hard guy to love. Sometimes people ask me, who is this Krishna? And I say, well, he's the same God as, in, as you read about in the Old Testament, but he's just in a whole lot better mood. He's not looking to burn anybody for eternity or, you know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't turn people into a pillar of salt. He's not jealous. He's not angry. <clears throat> the only thing that can make him upset is if, uh, if I do something to hurt one of his devotees. He may become a little upset about that, you know. Is he going to damn me to hell forever? No. But there will be consequences. In the Bible it says, as you sow, so shall you reap. Sometimes we translate that in on the street. We say, what goes around comes around. Same thing. That's the law of karma. Science has it. I think it was Newton that had this philosophy that for every action, there's an equivalent reaction. So we know it's there. Religion and science agree on that one thing, you see. The law of karma. In other words, it, it makes us, it begs us to analyze the question, who is punishing you? Is it God? He doesn't have to punish you. He gives you this law. You know, my dear, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can write your own future. You'll receive what you give. Now that's as fair as you can get, you see? You can't get any more fair. 
to see. So when we see people who are suffering, it looks like they're being punished. Who is punishing them? Your actions. Well, what dictates your actions? Your desires. If my desires are impure, my actions will be impure. If I desire all of my share, and some of yours too, and you, I can promise a lot of things, you may, you may even trust me and love me, and I'll take all of yours and disappear. You see? This goes on in our world. We do that. I want my share, I want more. I'm looking out for number one. And that's common. I'm not saying that we're bad. That's just how we've uh, become in this material world. And I use this analogy a great deal. Uh, if we took a group picture, you know, if I took a nice wide-angle picture of the whole room, and I passed the picture around, who's the first person you're going to look for? Numero uno. I'm concerned about me, my well-being, you see. I want to see that I get proper love and respect, you see. I demand it. I'm an American and a taxpayer. I demand respect. Well, I'm not a taxpayer because I don't have anything, so I don't have any income, so I don't. But I used to be. So, um, we can see our mindset. I'm looking out for me, but yet I'll tell you that I love you. I'm going to tell you that I love you, and I kind of do. But it's based on what do I get? What's in it for me? I may tell you that I love you. You're pretty. You please my eyes. Uh, you're a great singer. When you sing, it pleases my ears. So, in other words, I love I love people because you. I enjoy you through my senses. You see. A man or, or, or a person may tell another person, I love you, you're beautiful. A few years go by and maybe that person doesn't look as like they used to. You know, you know, now my love is faded because, you know. Your beauty your physical Yeah, beauty's gone, you know. Or it's diminished and I, now I found her. She looks like you did 10 years ago. I love her. And I'll figure out some reason to um, justify leaving you for her. You, see? you please me. And you used to. It's all about me. You see? I'm willing to give you whatever you want, so long as I get in exchange what I want. We were talking about that earlier today. If we analyze, you know, nobody likes the big corporations, do we? We hear a lot about big corporations. You know, nobody likes those guys. They're only in it for profit. But I say they represent every last one of us. We want profit. I mean, if I'm going to do something for you, I expect something in return. You see? I demand it. There's strings attached. If I'm going to love you, I expect you to love me. You see? If I'm going to stay with you, I expect you to do this or that. Huh? 
I expect to be able to enjoy you in a certain way. As soon as that enjoyment diminishes enough, then I'm going to look for somebody else that I can enjoy. But it's really kind of all about me. Again, I'm not saying we're bad. I'm just saying we're misled. You know, we zigged and we should have zagged. We become material. We become uh, uh, influenced by the modes of material nature. Everything that we do is influenced by one of the three modes of material nature. There are three modes. Goodness, passion, and ignorance. So we do things in, in a mode of goodness, we do things in the mode of passion, or we do things in the mode of ignorance, or some combination, you see, in everything we do. Uh, we give charity in those modes. Charity in the mode of goodness means, gee whiz, you look like you're kind of down and out, you know, I guess I'll help you, you know. Here, here's a couple of bucks, go get something to eat. In the mode of passion is, I think I'll build a hospital. I got enough money to build a hospital. Now I'm going to put my name on top. And then all my business associates will see my name on that hospital and I'll think, you're a great guy, I'm going to give you my business. So I get some profit from it. The mode of ignorance, charity in the mode of ignorance might be, I see some, some person uh, who's wanting money for intoxication. They want to... Intoxication is equated to the mode of ignorance. It's delusional. You see. So here, you know, I'll buy you. I'll buy you some beer. You want to enjoy with intoxication here. As a matter of fact, I think I'll have a few with you. See, goodness, passion, and ignorance. You can analyze the foods we eat, the actions we do. We're either in one of those modes or a combination of the two. If you're driving, some people drive in the mode of passion. They're zigging and zagging through traffic. Some people are driving in the mode of goodness. They'll, they'll let you in, for, in front of them, you know. The guy in the mode of goodness, he's letting you pull over in front of him. The guy in the mode of passion is blowing the horn at him behind him. And the guy in the mode of ignorance is going down, he's drinking and texting and eating a burger at the same time and steering with his, his knee, you see. We can see this in people. So, <clears throat> the purpose of yoga is to help you transcend the material modes. Does that include goodness? Do we want to get out of goodness too? Yes. Why? Think about it. Why would we want to leave goodness behind? Because we want to get into the spiritual mode. The spiritual mode is pure goodness. Now what is pure goodness? Pure goodness means a loving, something you do as a loving offering to God. You see, I want to, uh, if you're hungry, I want to feed you. Not because I expect something from you, not because I want him to witness it. I want to do it. But dear Lord, look, this, per this person is hungry. You know, in order to please you, I'm going to do something nice for your, one of your children. You see, that's pure goodness. You're not expecting anything. Therefore, since it's done in pure goodness, there is no karma. It's, it's an action in what was what it called, a lot of people have heard of karma. 
<clears throat> but they haven't heard the other Sanskrit word, akarma. And vikarma. Karma means I do something, I get a return. I do something good or kind of good, I get a good or kind of good return. Vikarma is I perform some, some sinful act. I get a sinful act done to me. Akarma means no karma. I do something as an offering to the Supreme Lord. I get nothing, you see. Now, some people say, well, at the time of death, what if I've got all this good karma? I've done nothing but good all my life. Isn't that, isn't that great? Well, it means you have to take another birth to receive the good karma. You can't be liberated. You've got so much good coming. You may be transferred to a higher planet to where you have a life, long life expectancy. You're very beautiful. Everybody there is very beautiful. Everything is very opulent. You're enjoying to a higher level. It's a little harder to get into the spiritual mode when you're enjoying so much, you see. <coughs> By the same token, at the time of death, if your karma bank account is full of bad things, you've been an evil, then you have to take back, you have to take birth again and, and, and suffer, either in the animal species or in the lower planetary systems, you see. There are lower planetary systems described in the Vedas where it's very hellish. If you read the Vedas, in the Upanishads, which are part of the Vedas, it describes the heavenly planets in the material world and the hellish planets in the material world. We're, and the earth planet is about in the middle. Okay? It's just about average, you know? So, when you read the description of the heavenly planets in the Upanishads, which were written thousands of years ago, 3,000 years before the, the Old Testament, they talk of uh, the topmost of the heavenly planets is Indraloka. Indraloka has streets of gold and gates made of beautiful pearls. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Everyone there lives uh, opulently in great mansions, you see. There, there are no poor people, there are no sick people. There are no, uh, uh, there are no unattractive people. There's nothing that isn't pleasant to the senses. Everything is pleasing. You can enjoy your senses and the lifespan uh, in Indralok is approximately 200,000 Earth years. And there's no old age until about six months before you die. But you do take birth and death. You get to enjoy for a long time. It's a place to go and use up your punya. Punya is accumulated good karma, you see. You can accumulate your good karma, go to Indralok and enjoy for 200,000 years. Almost unlimited enjoyment. Ultimately though, you have to die. Now your bank account pretty much empty, you come back here. You see, now you're starting all over again. So some people may say, well, that, that's a pretty interesting trip. I'm up for that. You know, thing of it is, you've all been there. You've all been there and done that. We don't remember it. We've been there thousands of times. 
Now the, he the hellish planets are, uh, have surfaces that are so hot, uh, according to the Vedas, they resemble lakes of fire. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hot metallic surfaces. Suns are very close to those planets. Intense heat, like fire. You see, and you have bodies that don't burn up. You can you can live in that fire, but suffer. Lifespan is shorter, though. Krishna's mercy. You see. So, whatever we accumulate in this world, we're going to go here or we're going to go there or in between. If one quits his life uh, at the time of death, if you're in the mode of goodness, you'll, you'll achieve the heavenly planets. If you're in the mode of ignorance, you achieve the lower planets. If you're in a mode of passion, you just stay here. Some planet like this one in the middle, you see. So none of this really sounds that great, you know. I mean, the better of, of all these is the heavenly planets. They get to go enjoy for a couple hundred thousand years. The unfortunate thing is it it has a duration. It comes to an end. He doesn't get sick. Huh? He gets sick and old. Yeah. There's birth, death, disease, and old age. Not, there's less of it in the higher planets. You see? More of it in the lower planets. You see? Our problems that we have in this world are all the same. We have a problem with birth because when we're born, we have to die, you see? So if we're born, we've got to worry about death. It's going to come eventually. We have to worry about disease. We have to worry about old age. Birth, death, disease, and old age are present in the material world, you see? And all living entities, if we analyze, all living entities are performing the same activities. Eating, sleeping, mating, and defending whatever they accumulate. You see? So you can see animals sometimes. You ever see one animal and they find something to eat and another animal comes and takes it away? You see? Everything has to eat. Everything has to sleep. Everything has the propensity to mate. Sex life is a desire for every living entity. And every living entity has to defend whatever it gets a hold of. So, there is no difference between humans and animals. Because we're also eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Now we may think, oh, but I'm eating better food. You know? If you give you know, some food that we may think is really wonderful, if we give it to certain animals, they won't even eat it. We're not attracted to it. You see? We may think, well, mine's better than theirs, but to them, theirs is better than yours. If you give nuts to a squirrel, he's thinking, oh, this is grand. This is perfect. You know? If you give flesh to a tiger, the tiger's thinking, oh, this is wonderful. The, the animals don't have a choice on what they eat. You see? I like to, I like to go uh, whenever I can and spend the winter in, in Bengal, in, in India. I'm, I'm going to go there this, this winter with hoping he comes here. And in Bengal there is the famous Bengal tiger. You don't see many of them anymore. You can walk through the jungles in Bengal. I'm not afraid. I've never seen a tiger. So I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I walk through the jungles and, 
chant as I go when I see the tigers. But if the tiger walked, if he jumped out of the bushes and saw me and he ate me, does he incur any karma? No, because I'm tiger food. He doesn't have any choice. He's got to eat something that's got flesh and blood. You know? We can give him a banana split. It's not going to do anything for him. He's not interested. No? Spaghetti? You know, he's yeah, I don't want that. I don't want the spaghetti. I think I'll help you. You see? But that's his food. He has no choice. The dog has no choice. Cats have no choice. We get to the human beings now. Oh, wait a minute. A whole new world. We have a different kind of brain. Boy, do we have choices. We get the choice. Do we emulate the animals and be like sophisticated animals? Two-legged animals. We walk on two legs. They walk on four. And we do the same activities. Or do we use this superior brain we have to ask certain questions? So the, animal, the, the, the human is an animal that has a choice. What do I eat? What is best for me? Physically and spiritually, you see. What's the best way for me to behave amongst my fellow human beings? The animals don't have that choice. They're working off karma. They're not incurring karma, they're working off karma, you know? The tiger, you know, he doesn't have many choices. He's just a tiger, he's gonna do what tigers do, you see? And no matter how much we try to humanize our, our pets, they're still cats and dogs. Although we may, you know, it's, it's amazing when I come back to America after being gone a long time, <clears throat> I'm always amazed when I see, you know, you have these, Walmarts that are for, for pets, PetSmart. You never see that in other parts of the world, you know. As yet, nobody feeds the dogs in India. But yet the dogs are healthy. They're fit and muscular. Now they may hang around the house, you know, and they're friendly with the owner. The owner may throw something out one time, here and there is a blue leftover, but the dog is looking to get his own, and, it, and, and he's given a body that can get his own. And he knows what to eat. He knows what dogs eat. So therefore they get exercise, they're fit, they get the right diet. You see, in America we bring dogs in the house and we feed them things that they shouldn't eat, like food made out of grains and things like that. So they live a long time, but they're not very healthy. They're not fit, mostly fat, you know. So no matter how we try to humanize them, they're still animals. And sometimes no matter how we, we try to humanize the human beings, they still act like animals, you see. Simply eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. See? But the one uh, attribute the human brain has is I can inquire. Who the hell am I? Who is God? Where is He? How do I get Him? You see? The animal has no idea, no concept that he's going to have another birth. So he doesn't do anything to assure what his next birth will be. The human being can say, 
I want to write my own future. You see? I want my next birth to be something like this. And you can make it whatever you want. You can manipulate. You see? Yeah, that's fine right there. Oh. No, no, turn it on so they're off. If it's too loud, just let me know. So, uh, the human being may choose, well, I want an opulent life. I want to go to the heavenly planets and enjoy for 200,000 years. Huh? Or he may choose, look, I don't care. I just want to grab all the gusto I can while I'm here. I'll lie and I'll cheat. I'll get drunk. I'm going to have a good time. So, I don't care. It's your choice. You have free will. God gives everybody free will. And I'll get on to that later. Don't let me forget to explain why he gives free will. But, um, you as a human being can, cho can choose through the process of yoga. You can say, or other processes, but they're all forms of yoga. You can choose that I want to quit this cycle of birth and death. I want to get out of this material world. It's called uh, moksha, liberation. I want to be liberated. I don't want to come back here, you see. So, in other words, I want back what I left. One thing that's a little different in this philosophy is that uh, the Vedas teach that the living entity has no beginning. The soul has no beginning. It has no end. <coughs> you see, some some uh, philosophies have argued, well, no, the soul comes into existence at conception, but after that it's eternal. It's eternal heaven or eternal hell. And I say, well, if something has a beginning, then it's not eternal. In other words, if there was a time when you did not exist, that's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? So if it's possible for you, the soul, to not exist, then maybe the atheists are right. Maybe at the time of death, the lights just go out and that's it. If you can cease to be, if you did cease to be, why can't you do it again? But if you never did uh, have a beginning, if you've always been, and you always will be, you're an eternal living entity. You see, that's different. Now you're eternal. You always have been. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, he says, never has there been a time when you did not exist. And never will there ever be a time when you will cease to be. You, the soul, cannot be withered by the wind, pierced by the sword, burned by fire. You're unborn, undying. You cannot be harmed in any possible way. But we found our way into this material world and we've assumed these bodies. And these bodies can be cut, withered, burned, you see? And we think we are these bodies. We think we are. Even if uh, through intelligence we can say, oh, you know, I don't think I am my body. 
Give it 10 minutes, 10 minutes later, you'll be back to thinking you are your body. We're convinced that we are our bodies. We are convinced. Spiritual knowledge, the first step is, the very first step into accumulating any spiritual knowledge is, I am not this body. I'm the driver of the body. I'm an eternal living entity. You see. I trade bodies just like I trade cars. When I wear one out, I'll take another. According to my desires. You see. According to my desires and my karma, I'll get another body at the time of death. You see. If I have the karma, I'll take the body of a tiger. Or a cat or a dog. In my desires. A good way to illustrate this is a little crude, so bear with me. It's a little crude, but forgive me. But it's a good way to illustrate this. It's just like human beings are just like the animals in that they are attracted to mating. They're attracted to sex life. Okay? However, the human being is not the best body to have to have sex life. You think about that. Now, a lot of people say, what are you talking about? What are you, crazy? The human body is not the best form to have for, for sex life, if that's your driving desire. Want me to name one that's better? A pigeon. A pigeon can have sex every 10 minutes. He doesn't have to buy a ring. He doesn't have to take her to a movie. You know, there's no palimony, child support. If you impregnate a pigeon and leave, the other pigeons aren't going to say, what a scoundrel you are. It's just free love. That doesn't mean that you're bad. You can do that if you're a dog or a tiger. You see? You can have as much as you want. You don't even have to get a room. It's not so difficult. So much more availability. And some people say, yeah, but... Pigeon doesn't enjoy sex as much as I do. Come on. You know? How do you know that? <laughs> if a tiger eats you, do you think he's saying, I'd rather have ice cream. <laughs> the human's all I could find. No, he's thinking, mm. <laughs> really good. You know? You're so much better than the human I ate last week. <laughs> wow. Somebody look at her driver's license, see where she's from. I want everybody from El Paso. That people from El Paso taste the best. Mm. See? The senses of animals are far more developed than human beings. An eagle can read the uh, headline on a newspaper a mile away. Dogs can hear things far quicker than you can. They can smell things. Their sense of smell is... 90 times greater, sometimes much more than like a bloodhound, you see. Hearing, sight, touch, taste. A snake can lick his tongue out and taste the air and tell if, how close you are. Their, their senses are much more developed than yours, and you think they don't enjoy it as much as you do? Their sense of taste, their sense of feel is far more developed. They're driven by it. You could catch an elephant with a, a, a she-elephant that's in, in heat. You see? The dog can smell a female in heat 
a mile away. And he's driven. He's crazed. You can throw rocks at him, you know. He'll walk a few feet, turn right around and come back. I knew a guy in Tennessee that had a BB gun. The dogs were coming after his female dog. He would shoot them with a BB gun and they'd, arr, arr, they'd run like 100 feet. They'd be right back. It's pain, you know. They're like lusting, you know. Ah. So they enjoy it at least as much as we do. And it's free and everywhere. So the human body has so many restrictions. It, it's too intelligent. Because I may have to lie to you to get you to let me do what I want to do. I may have to promise. And, you know, I don't want to, but I'm willing to. You know. <laughs> See? We're, we, we have this darned intelligence that causes us to think and make decisions and exercise my free will in ways that only benefit me. And then I'm going to go away. Before I feel guilty, I'm going to justify it. Well, she would have done it with anybody that used that line. I was just the first. Yeah, justify my evil act. My I mean mine. <clears throat> no. Why does God give us this free will? Does anybody know? Why does God give us free will? Exactly. Exactly. Those are both parts of it. It's because he is the supreme. He's the supreme everything. He's also the supreme lover. We are in, although we've forgotten about it, we are in the supreme love affair with the supreme loving entity. We have always have been. He is a creature who is driven by love. That's all he's interested in. He feeds on it. He lusts for your love. And we're lusting for love, but the love we're lusting for is his supreme love. For love to be real, you've got to choose. You've got to have choice. See, Krishna knows that he's the greatest. He knows he's the most wonderful, the most attractive, you see. But to make it sweet, he's got to give you the ability to choose him. It's flattering when you choose him, you know. It's like if somebody, if you get married, you're the only girl in the village and you get married and your husband said, you're the most beautiful girl in town. Whoopee. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad we got married, but... You know, what if, what if Krishna drove into you and beat into you the consciousness that, well, he's the only God, he's the only choice, he's the only source of enjoyment. It may be okay with us, but it's not okay with him. He wants you to seek him out. Choose him. So he gives you the free will to leave the kingdom of God. Stay gone as long as you want experience anything you want. He knows you're going to come back. He knows when you get exhausted and you've tried to squeeze enjoyment out of every facet of the material world 
Sooner or later, you'll wonder, what am I doing here? Is there something better than this place that I find myself in? You know, it's a common human uh, emotion to think, is there anything better than this? Isn't it? But then right away, uh, our conditioning overrides that. You may wake up and think, I'm looking at my life, isn't there anything better? Well, I gotta go to work now, but I'll think about this later. And after work, I'm gonna stop by happy hour because I hate my boss. Well, he's driving me crazy. I'm not getting the promotion that I need. I could use a couple of beers, you know, deaden my senses. And that feeling of, isn't there anything better? I still wonder that, but right now I'm gonna go see if I can get a date, you know? I'm gonna see if I can, you know, maybe if I buy a better bed, I'll sleep better, so I'll improve my, my sleeping, you know? I'm going to start eating at better restaurants so I'll improve my eating. I'm going to try to date a higher level of people so I'll improve my mating. I'm going to buy a gun and a... I'm going to buy a gun and a, um, an alarm system so I've improved my defense. So I've improved my eating, my sleeping, my mating, my defending. I still wonder, is there anything else? You know? I assure you, Bill Gates wonders that. What next? You see, that haunting feeling. What next? Now that I've got this, now what? You see, that's intelligence. And the fortunate person will grab hold of that thought and say, okay, for, for once, I'm going to deal with this. Yes, there is something better. Escape from this material world. No more birth. No more death. No more disease. No more old age. I want to go back where I came. I want to go back and resume my relationship with the Supreme Lord. Which is everything. It's wonderful. It's the sweetest. You see. So therefore we start on a path to find it. You see. It's kind of like uh, the, the, the thinking is like this. Let's say that someone came, uh, a friend of yours came up to you and said, hey, we both got the weekend off, right? You know, a long weekend. What do you say we go somewhere? Let's take a trip. Let's take a trip. So what are you going to think? What's your first reaction? Sounds good, right? So let's take a trip. Where? Yeah, okay. Where? It's the first thing you're going to... All right, yeah, I think that's a good idea, but where? Where are we going to go? Now that depends on what you want. If you want sun and surf, beach, you might go to Miami or Honolulu. If you want snow and skiing, you may go to Vail. If you want to party all night and gamble, you go to Las Vegas. If you want solitude, you may go to the mountains. You see? So the trip you take depends on what you want. And my purpose is to let you know something that's available. And that is a personal loving relationship with Krishna. Krishna, that supreme personality. In the abode where we came from. Picking up the relationship right where it left off. Loving relationship. 
completely secure, completely happy. The living entity in their normal form is Sat Chit Ananda. Sat means eternal, Chit means full of knowledge, and Ananda means full of bliss. The nature of the living entity is to always feel blissful. It's not natural for us to feel unhappy. You see. Our nature is to always feel happy. To not worry about death because we're eternal. And to know everything. Satchitananda. Eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss. To know, practically speaking, everything that God knows. To be pretty much, practically speaking, as happy as God. I don't mean the God in the Old Testament. I mean the God that, I mean, think about it. If you're God, wouldn't you be happy? You can have anything you want. You didn't have to worry about getting up to go to work tomorrow, fighting traffic. You can make the weather any way you want it. See, you'd be happy and blissful. You know? The Supreme Lord doesn't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm just going to have a rotten day. Nothing can make him angry. He's completely confident in himself. Which makes him even more attractive. Because he knows he's the Supreme. You see. And because he's, uh, because, because he's omnipotent, because he has all the power that you can imagine and, and then some, he has qualities that uh, break the laws of the material world. In the material world, uh, if I say, you're my favorite friend, that means you're my favorite. You may be number two, you may be number three, but there's a pecking order, you see. In the kingdom of God, in the spiritual world, if he says, you are my va very favorite child, you're my very favorite friend, and he can say the same thing to you, and both are true, he's God. So the fact is, all of you, every living entity, not just the human beings, every living entity is his absolute favorite. He is so wrapped up over you, he can't take his eyes off of you. He can't even think of anything else. He loves it. He loves the thought of you. The mention of your name excites him. Unconditional love. Now, we decided, well, I'm going to go on a little trip, see if I can find anything better than you. And he's like, all right, have a nice trip. <laughs> Good luck with that. You know. But yeah, have a nice trip. Now, some people think, yeah, but if he loves me so much, why would he let me leave? He's the supreme romantic. He knows you're coming back, but he wants you to figure it out on your own. And sometimes to help you, he'll send some wandering old fools like me to say, hey, you can choose him if you want to. You see? When we choose that we want him, his attitude is kind of like, yippee, this is cool. You know, this is great. So you take one step towards him, he takes ten towards you. But he's not going to influence your decision. You've got to work on the relationship. So you've got to work on loving him. It's got to be genuine. After all, he's God. He doesn't take anything cheap. It's got to be real. 
And you have it. You have love of God here. It's just covered over. It's covered over because we started to think, what about me? I stopped thinking about, what about you, my dear Lord Krishna? What can I do? When you love somebody, you want to do something for them. You can't just love them. I want to do something to make you happy. I want to give you a gift. I want to figure out, you know, the most flattering thing is to figure somebody out. You know, it's like you go, you open a present on your birthday. Somebody gave you a present and you open it and it's just what you wanted, but you didn't say a word to anybody. And you look at the person who gave it to you and say, how did you know? You really got into my head. You've been thinking about me, maybe watching me and seeing what I do. And somehow or other, you knew exactly what I wanted. That's the most flattering, isn't it? That's what Krishna wants. He wants you to think about him. What do you want? How can I please you? That is bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is loving, devotional service to God. And we stop caring about me. I'm okay. I'm eternal. I'm not worried about me. I'm the best friend of God. So I feel secure. I'm afraid of nothing. You could end my body, but I'm just going to go somewhere else. You see? And do the same thing I'm doing right now. You can't stop it. You can stop this body from doing it, but you can't stop me from doing what I do for Krishna. That's my relationship with him. So the living entity, when he practices bhakti yoga, he starts to think of Krishna all the time. You may be going to work just like anybody else. You see? But you're performing your activity. It may be the same job as the person next to you. You're performing your activity as an offering to Krishna. And that love starts to grow. You'll chant this Maha Mantra, which will make you think of it. You'll read about it. You'll associate with other people who talk about it, glorify it. You can't, you'll find that you can't get enough of it. As your consciousness of Krishna grows, you can't stop thinking about it. And if you ever do, and you catch yourself not thinking about it, you feel very uncomfortable. You think, what was I doing? I was thinking about something mundane. The mundane things lose their taste. My guru calls it, uh, it's like chewing that which has already been chewed. It's like, you know, you ever chew a piece of chewing gum? and you put it down and you chew it again later on, it's got no taste. The sugar is already gone. You'll start to, re to recognize the material world as something that you've already done, been there, done that. You'll realize that it's losing its taste and your taste is growing for transcendental things. When you experience a tiny bit of Krishna's love, you become completely addicted and you can't get enough. Too sweet, too sweet to resist. So, should we wrap it up? What about questions, comments, criticisms? Anything? Huh? Thank you. Any questions?
Oh boy, that's a good question. Why do you refer to God as a He? Uh, God is unlimited. So God is also She. If I, oh, I see this picture here, that's Krishna and Radha. Radha is His feminine. Krishna is the blue one on the left, and the beautiful lady on the right is also Krishna, but simultaneously not Krishna. She is his feminine energy. He has both. Actually, to get into the true science of bhakti yoga, to get to him, you've got to please her. So we play this, this maha mantra, Hare Krishna, this Hare, is praying to Hara, her. Oh, energy of Krishna, you're begging her, please engage me in serving him. If you can't please her, you're not going to please him. I just want to notice too, the whole mantra, we actually say her name when we say his. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's, as a matter of fact, and it's kind of hard for us in this material world to understand, but there never was a time when they didn't exist. There never was a time, so he didn't meet her someplace, you know? He didn't meet her in a restaurant. They've always been together. So, she, Krishna is the most attractive entity, and Radha is the most loving entity. She loves him so deeply that he can't understand why. So even though they're separate, they're the same soul in separate bodies, he doesn't pry into her thought process. He's amazed at her love. And she's addicted to his love. So Krishna has given the perfect uh, representation of how living entities, especially male and female, should associate. As a matter of fact, sometimes Krishna takes birth in this material world as his devotee. Because he wants to taste what is, what is it like to serve me. It's such a wonderful thing to fall in love, to seek him out and to fall in love with Krishna, that he wants to do it too. He's thinking, I'm God, why should I be denied this ecstasy? So, and when he does that, the two, Radha and Krishna, join together into one entity and they take birth. He needs her to be a devotee. And she needs him to be the potency of God. They have to, for him to experience what you can experience, they, come, they combine together and take one, uh, one body. And that's been done many times. And we'll talk about that later, if you like. That's another subject. I think, too, that on a more simplified level, you refer to him as him because we're human beings. Yeah. And males seem to supersede females. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with religion. Because of Christianity and Islam, you know, it's always a key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in actuality, uh, he is the seed-giving father, and uh, 
nature, prakriti, is the recipient. In the, in the, in the ultimate science, uh, he is the male figure, and the rest of us are feminine in nature, even though I may appear, appear in an old man's body right now. When I'm relating with him, it's going to have some feminine, you see. He's the champion. He's the defender. He's the, he's the, the tough guy. But that doesn't mean that I may have a male relationship with him as a friend, you see. In the ultimate liberation in Goloka Vrindavan, which is where Krishna lives, uh, Krishna has a relationship with the living entities that is completely off the charts from what we've thought about. It's a mind blower. Because in Goloka Vrindavan, where Krishna lives, now there are other forms of Krishna that live other places that you can be liberated to. For instance, if you want to worship God in great awe and reverence, then you may take liberation into one of the Narayan planets where he's worshipped in great pomp and glory. See, every time you see him, you fall down. That doesn't really appeal to him, but if that's your choice. But once you get there, if you decide you want something else, you can make the circuit back and go higher. The highest is Goloka Vrindavan. In Goloka Vrindavan, he's not really God. He is, but nobody thinks of him as God. There's no need for God there. He's just wonderful Krishna. You just love him. And he just loves you. You don't think of him as God. He's just incredibly attractive. And it's as if every one of us has our personal Krishna. And I'm thinking, I've got Krishna. Nana, nana, nana. And you're thinking the same thing. Oh yeah, well I so do. And he doesn't, there is no awe and reverence. In other words, when you see Krishna, when you know that, he, that he's coming, you're not going to fall down and bow. You may hide behind a tree and get ready to grab him when he goes by and wrestle with him, surprise him from behind. Some of his pastimes. The female devotees, sometimes when they're taking their bath in the celestial lakes and rivers, they take their clothes off to take their bath, and Krishna comes and steals them. See? He likes to tell jokes. He likes to imitate funny people. He likes to make, said, he likes to distort his face in such a way to make you laugh. So can you imagine the Supreme Being, if he wants to crack you up, can you imagine how hard he can make you laugh? No. And he's such a scoundrel. When he does it, he thinks it's so funny. He thinks he's funny. No. He, likes to, he likes to challenge Radha. He likes to uh, tease her. Excuse me. He likes to tease her to the point that she becomes angry. Because he likes the way her eyebrows look when she's, when she's angry. And then when she starts to get mad at him, he starts to speak sweet words. Oh, my dear. I didn't mean it. You're the sweetest, the most wonderful. And then she's called. But he's just, he's like that. So he lives the way uh, that you can imagine, if you think about it, that you can imagine God would live. So in Goloka Vrindavan, he's God, but nobody knows it. 
there's no need for God there. You see, everything is perfect. Everything is eternal. There is no birth, there is no death, there is no disease, there is no old age. There's just ananda, bliss. Bliss of associating with Him. That's a good question. A lot of times people wonder that. How do you know God's not a woman? Well, He is. But He's also a man. Excellent question. Anything else? You look like you've got a question. <laughs> and it almost uses, I guess, like a material or kind of playing a cosmic game of writing this. That's exactly what we're doing. That's an excellent observation. We're playing a, a game of hide and go seek from God. You see? The only time I really think I need Him is when I'm in trouble. Oh, God. You know? If, if I see death at my door, I may say, oh, God. See? When I'm having a great time, I don't, I don't think, God, you know? I'm having a great time. I don't need Him. I need Him when I'm in desperation. The rest of the time, I want to keep him at arm's length. You know? Kind of like keep him. You know, it's it's, it's kind of like I was demonstrating in, this in Dallas when I was there. It's kind of like you know, now that I know he's there, I know God is there. You know, I can keep you behind a curtain. I know you're there when I need you, but right now I want to enjoy and I want to. But you know, oh yeah, you're still there. Yeah, you know. You draw a curtain. I don't, you know, I don't want to divert my attention to you right now. I am kind of playing the cosmic hide and seek. You know, because if I recognize you, that's going to change a lot of things. And I'm not finished with what about me yet? You see? Did you have a question? No, I was just going to ask. What are you saying that? Well, actually, what you said about how we're when we're, when we're in desperation, we actually, you know, we have, we have, we have some consciousness of God, you know. But uh, one, of your, one of your godlings in Dallas, he gave a class, he's a meteorologist, meteor and he said, uh, the fact that we think that death is not always like one step away, you know, that, you know, we can die in the moment. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a car accident, but, you know, it's not that you actually search these things out, but, you know, something can just happen, you know. So the fact that you think that death is going to come with old age, you know, we have like 40 years to live, is an illusion. Yeah. You know, we're always susceptible to just dying at any moment. Anything can happen. I mean, definitely. You know, Only a little bit more than half of us die of old age. Yeah. I don't think maybe that's changed. That might even be. So maybe we should always be in that desperate, have that desperate mentality. Yeah, what about all the Christian of all the time? What about disease? Yeah. What about an accident? You know, exactly. it's just like you know, driving on the freeway should be scary, but we're used to it. If you drive on the freeway in India, you get scared again. You know, it's different, <laughs> a different world. You laugh, you wait. You <laughs> just getting out of, from the airport out of Delhi, you know, is like a carnival ride. It's I mean, roller coasters are not as scary as this. <laughs> But it works, and how they, they do it. So yeah, you can see. Well, 
sometimes how there's death, there's danger at every step. De death could come at any minute. None whatsoever. You can try to have some input. Please help me. Please help me. Help me, Krishna. What is it about material energy that's so attractive? Oh, it's illusory. You see, it's attractive because this is all we have in this material world. The illusory energy is only attractive because this is all we're exposed to. We've come away from the spiritual world and we're looking for enjoyment because it's our nature to enjoy. You know, it's our, or to feel bliss. We want to feel blissful, so I'm trying to squeeze some enjoyment out of this material world. Uh, it's just like I remember my mother was telling me a story back in the 30s during the Depression. There was, um, she lived in a rural part of Tennessee. And uh, everybody in the country was poor. So there were some people that were really poor. And there was a truckload of uh, what she referred to as gypsies. You know, I don't know if they were real gypsies, but she called them gypsies. A truckload of gypsies is riding down the road in this rural area, and her father was plowing the field in the, in the springtime. First time he plowed the field, you see. And all of a sudden, the truck stopped, they all jumped out of the truck, and they ran to the field, and they were following behind the plow. And they were picking something up and eating it. It was these white grub worms. You know, they're white maggot, big maggot looking thing. And they were like, oh, what a delicacy, this is wonderful. Want some food before you go? We've got, we've got food. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, but that was their perception of what was good. They had that perception that, ooh, what a delicacy to find this. You see? Now you may look at it and say, eh. Some people, some person may think, oh, I sit down to a big juicy steak. Ooh, that's great. Another person may say, oh my God, what is that? It looks like somebody murdered a cow slipped off, stripped its flesh off and put it over a fire. It's horrible. As a matter of fact, we can understand certain things if we're alert, if we're looking for something beyond just what we're used to, you see. Uh, in America, when you smell somebody cooking steaks outside, barbecue. Most people will say, oh, that smells good. But do you know what it smells exactly like? Exactly like. Something you've never experienced. A crematorium. In India, when they burn the bodies, in India they don't dig holes and put bodies in holes, they burn them. They cremate them. And the smell of the fat hitting the fire. Animals, I mean, we're both mammals, cows and humans. It's the same smell as barbecuing steaks. So once you equate that and you smell that, you think, you know. Forty years ago when I smelled that, I would have said, hmm, 
but very soon I learned. It's burning flesh. Consciousness. But we, we try to squeeze some enjoyment out of the material world because it's all we have. Until we realize there must be something better and we start to seek something transcendental, then we'll discover something transcendental. And if we choose, we can go all the way. All right, anything else? Want to have a little kirtan? Short kirtan, we'll chant a little Hare Krishna together, singing, and then we'll eat. I hope you brought your appetite with you. Did you bring your appetite? All right. You want to leave? Krishna, Krishna, Hare, Hare. Thank you all for coming so much. It's really nice.